0: So how can we be distinguished in 2019? I love this quote by S.C. Lurie. She's based in England and she's an author. Breathe, darling. This is just a chapter. It's not your whole story. And that's what I want to say to you because some of you have been going through challenges. Some of you had a difficult year end in terms of 2018. And I just want to say to you, breathe, darling this is just a chapter, it's not your whole story. It's not your whole story. And so as we are at the start of this year, 2019, I want to encourage you to make a decision to say this year I want to become a distinguished leader. And you know it's very subtle, especially as believers because very often there's a fine line between promoting yourself, self-promotion, right, and becoming distinguished you know what I'm talking about, right? And you'll see as I take you through this process that sometimes we shy away from some of these affirmations, some of these principles, because we think, isn't this ambition? Isn't the, aren't I being ambitious? Let me just say something up front. There's nothing wrong with ambition. Ambition is the desire to achieve. What the Bible speaks against is selfish ambition. When you want to achieve greatness, but it's for yourself as an end. Does that make sense? Okay? I want to be famous. I want to be well-known around the world. Right? But not for myself, not for my ego. It's because I believe in what I carry. And I want other people to know it. Okay? So, this is the first affirmation of a distinguished leader. And for those of you who are here for the first time, you will get the material, okay? The PDFs we'll make available on the website also, all right? Um, If you haven't joined the meet group, just write down your name and your phone number, and I'll also add you to the WhatsApp group, okay? So that you're part of it, and we'll make it available there too. This is the first affirmation. I have a code of behavior for most of my interactions and dealings. A lot of people fail in leadership, and they fail as leaders because they don't have a code, They wait for a code of conduct from their organization, but they themselves don't have a code. It's important to have your own code, in other words, your own standards. I remember an uncle of mine, my uncle Edward, he once said, The reason why a lot of people fall into all sorts of dodgy stuff, all sorts of sin, very often is because they haven't pre decided not to. You see? So they float around without any standards and then they compromise. Because they haven't pre decided not to. And so, do you have a code of behavior? For example, those of you in business, do you have a code with regards to who you'll do business with, who you won't do business with? I was helping someone who's wanting to transition from the corporate world into entrepreneurship. And I was sitting down with them, and I, I literally gave them a number of questions to ask. In fact, it was a telephonic coaching session. And one of the things I just said was, you need from the get-go to be very clear about your values. Who are you going to do business with and who you are not going to do business with? Which companies are you going to deal with? Which companies are you not going to deal with? Because at the start of a business, it's easy to compromise just because you want to make money. But that means that you're sowing something negative Wrong foundation at the start of your business, right? So, I have a code of behavior. If you're a guy, do you have a code of behavior for how you relate to people of the opposite sex? If you're a girl, do you have a code of behavior for how you relate to people of the opposite sex? Right? That's important. If you're a single person, maybe in a relationship, do you have a code in terms of boundaries Often when I'm counseling people and so on, singles or premaritally, I say, what are your boundaries? Have you made them explicit? We don't do this. We don't touch here. We don't take off this. We don't do this. We're keeping ourselves for when we get married. It's a very clear code. And I'm shocked by the number of singles where I speak to them. It's like, yeah, I sort of know my boundaries. Yeah. And you can see that the two people haven't actually discussed the boundaries. Okay? So you've got a code. Do you have a code in terms of how you deal with your in-laws? That's very important, especially for married people. How do you deal with your in-laws? If an issue comes up and you've got an issue with them, is it you who addresses it or is it your spouse? And those of you who have counseled in terms of uh, marriage and so on, you'll know that there are clear, clear guidelines around those particular things. Okay? So this is crucial. And I would encourage you to think of all the areas of your life and then apply a code to that. What this also helps you with, it helps you to develop your leadership philosophy. A lot of people, sadly, want to be great leaders, but they're not clear about their leadership philosophy. What is a leadership philosophy? It's where you basically decide, this is the type of leader I'm going to be. APSA did a great job with that, okay? Okay. What's a number of apps that people in our church, did a great job. I remember a few, <laughs> no more, okay? But we've got others also that are still there, all right? But what happened was they did a great job of it where they came up with a leadership brand. And I remember sitting there when it was being developed and we're discussing it all and so on. And they basically said, you know what? The people who become leaders in this organization, these are their leadership qualities, okay? And when they do 360, Reviews. They actually sit down and it's weighted based on that. And one of those values was humility, right? Where They said, you know what? Humility is one of them. We're going to give it this weighting. It's not just about how, what you do, but it's also about how you do it. And that's all linked to a code of behavior. Does that make sense? And I want to ask you a question. Does this code become a deal breaker? When you're dealing with a particular person, in terms of getting into business with them or getting into a relationship with them when they don't have those qualities? Does it become a deal breaker? Or is it that thing where you're just saying, oh yeah, 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 this is the code I have, but it doesn't really matter. Okay, something to think about. The second affirmation, I'm a secure person and I'm comfortable with myself. This is so important. That word secure comes from an interesting Latin word, securus, which literally means without care, without care. I didn't say careless, but without care. In other words, you're not this person who's always anxious. I preached on um, the spirit of boldness on Sunday, okay? You're not this person who's always anxious, this person who's always worried. You know there's some people who care too much. I'm not talking about caring about people. I'm talking about caring what other people think, You know, those people where they're always worried about this and that. When you're insecure as a leader, do you know what the problem is? The people around you aren't authentic. Have you noticed that when you're around an insecure leader, you don't feel like speaking out because you're like, eh, I might outshine this person and I don't want them to feel outshined. So let me just hold back. And you're not authentic. You're not relaxed and you're not yourself. So when you're secure as a leader, it's actually infectious. It spreads to other people, doesn't it? Okay, people want that. Ask yourself: Am I sick? Am I a secure person? And I am, am I comfortable with myself? It's the way you accept yourself, self-acceptance. Like this is the person I am, take it or leave it. And have you noticed that we're attracted to those kinds of people? Right? We're attracted to those kinds of people. There are a lot of things people do stemming from insecurity. Often, if someone is feeling insecure, they overcompensate. You know those people? We can see that this person is just trying too hard. Dude, just chill. Just relax. Okay? There's some people who try too hard. Right? And it's often stemming from a place of insecurity. Okay? So the affirmation of a distinguished leader, if you want to distinguish yourself, I'm a secure person and I'm comfortable with myself. Have you noticed that some of the greatest leaders that you look up to, this is them, isn't it? You know? People admire your Oprahs and they admire all those people. But one of the reasons they're drawn to some of those individuals is the person comes across as quite secure. And what are the signs of that? What is the behavior of a secure person? I'm secure enough to share with you my weaknesses. I'm secure enough to act silly in front of you. And I'm not like, oh, what will they think? I'm secure enough to not always have to wear a three-piece suit in front of you. Have you noticed that those people who are very wealthy and they're quite secure about that and they're not trying to show off their money and all of that kind of thing, they'll walk through into a bank with their slippers. They don't overcompensate. Ask yourself, how secure are you as a person? You might have a nice fancy car, but... When it's being serviced and you're given something that's not that great, do you still feel comfortable with yourself as a person? Or is your identity locked in how fancy your car looks? Right? The third affirmation of a distinguished leader is, I like who I'm becoming. This is one of the common coaching questions I like to ask people when I'm coaching them. I say to them, do you like who you're becoming? And you know what? I'm surprised how many people will say, no, Paul, I don't. You hear them saying, when I started out in corporate, this is the type of person I was. But nowadays, to be very honest with you, Paul, I don't like who I'm becoming. I'm becoming ratty with people, catty with people. I kick the dog uh, at home. Um, The kids just annoy me. Do you like who you're becoming? Fortunately, I meet other people and they say to me, Paul, I do. Paul, I used to be timid and fearful, but I've changed. I don't care so much what people think of me. I'm just being true to myself. Ask yourself that question. As the year goes by, are you liking yourself more? Have you noticed that you're drawn to people who like themselves? I'm not talking about arrogance. But you can see when someone likes themselves. You know what I mean? They'll crack a joke. You laugh at their joke. They also laugh. They're just comfortable. They like who they are becoming. If you don't like who you're becoming, why not? One of the amazing things about us as human beings, the way God created us, is we've got the ability to aspire. What does that mean, to aspire? Last time I checked, my dog didn't come to me My labrador didn't come and say, this is my five-year plan. Animals can't aspire. They don't have vision for the future. This is my 10-year plan. Okay? I remember someone I once coached. They went to some people. uh, I think they were funders or something. And these funders were shocked because this lady had a 100-year plan. Okay? You know, the Chinese think in centuries. The point I'm just trying to make is, if you don't like who you're becoming, you can change it. You can change it. You've got the power to do so. The next one, I have personal confidence that is attractive. One of the things about confidence is that it's attractive. Again, I'm not talking about arrogance. There's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And very often when confident comes into contact with insecure, insecure will interpret confident as arrogant. Right? But confidence is attractive, even physically. Even physically. Have you you ever seen a woman who is timid and afraid? It actually takes away from her beauty, right? There was a particular lady, and she owned a modeling agency up in Zim. And what she used to say to the models there is that when you walk tall, When you carry yourself with confidence, it actually affects your physical appearance. Okay, so I want to ask you the question: How are you carrying yourself? And body language is key here, hey. Remember, with body language, what happens is when you raise your hands like this, that's a position of power, isn't it? And your testosterone actually goes up, and that's your power hormone. And your stress, your stress levels go down. Your cortisol goes down. That's your stress hormone. And I think I might have shared with you before that when someone finishes a race and they're told they've they've broken the record, what do they do? They do this. And where do they see this? Where do they witness this? It's part of how God designed us, isn't it? Because even with people who are born blind, when they're told you've won the race, what do they still do? Your posture is important. How you walk, how you carry yourself. If you stand in front of people and you're speaking to them and you're like this, I'm nervous, I'm nervous, and you're apologizing for speaking to them, what happens? Your cortisol, your stress hormone goes up and your testosterone goes down. All right? Let's watch how we carry ourselves. I have an accurate view of myself. You know, a lot of times we say this person has got a superiority complex and that's wrong. But you know that... An inferiority complex is also bad. Because inferiority, you're not agreeing with the truth. Do you know what true humility is? Humility is agreement with the truth. You're humble enough to basically say, this is what God's word says about me, and I'm going to accept it. God's word says I'm the apple of his eye. God's word tells me that he who believes in me, talking about Jesus, this is what Jesus said, he who believes in me, he will do these works, and even greater works shall he do. Now, it takes humility to actually believe that, to actually say, Lord, I'll take you at your word. Your word is higher than my opinion. So my question to you is, do you have an accurate view of yourself? This is very important if we want to be distinguished. You have an accurate view of yourself. Very often you'll find people going to the workplace and they're like, I think I need this other qualification in order for, my, for me to actually have a voice in this company. Says who? Ah, I, I'm not yet a, a hardcore Christian like some of those guys who've known the Lord for years and years. Therefore, I can't lead in church. Says who? So try to be conscious of the lies that you've believed and uproot them. Because this is where people literally stop being used by God simply because of this. They don't have an accurate view of themselves. My question to you is, what have you rehearsed? What have you been rehearsing ever since you grew up? If you were raised by a father or a mother that was very strict and would always communicate to you that you're not good enough. And it happens in very subtle ways, by the way. You make your bed and you really think this is the best you've ever done and then they go and they correct it. And you grow up with a mindset of, you know what, what's the point of trying? Mom will always redo it. That's what happens if you're raised by a perfectionist parent and it's very subtle. And those of you who are perfectionists, just watch out because it will impact your kids. Okay? I'm seeing a daughter pointing at her mother. All right? So the thing that destroys us isn't so much what other people say to us. What destroys us is the number of times we rehearse what they've said. Very often we're not destroyed by other people's words. We're destroyed by our interpretation of their words and the number of times we rehearse what they said. And that's where we add our spices. Not so. Okay? So watch out for that. I'm aware of my personal attributes. I'm aware of my personal attributes. This is so important. Your personal attributes, what are we talking about? I like this. I don't like that. Do you know that there's some people who are so passive they literally can't tell you what they like or don't like. You say to them, "Do you want, do you want to go to uh, this Italian restaurant or this Portuguese one?" "Ah, uh, where do you want to go? I'm flexible. I'm flexy, I'm easy. No, say what you like. Sometimes you speak to some moms and you say to them, "Um, so what's your favorite food? Ah, no, my happy likes this. My son likes this. What's your favorite food? Ah, no, at least nowadays we can afford this. What's your favorite food? And she's literally forgotten what she likes. Right? And in psychology, we call it enmeshment, where you don't know where does nikki begin where does nikki end and where does tabs begin you know what i'm talking about where do you end and where does the next person begin so sometimes it's good to just press pause and ask yourself what do i like what don't i like what's my preference in terms of music what's my favorite color what type of personalities am i drawn to which personalities do i struggle with to be a distinguished person To be a person that stands out, you must be able to shine. And the only way you can shine is when you allow the unique design, the way you were carefully thought out by God. Because that's what the Bible says, doesn't it? I was fearfully and wonderfully made in the book of Psalms. That word fearfully is the word carefully, with great care. It wasn't random. That's the problem with people who believe in the Big Bang and that, you know, things just, just happened randomly. How can we have so much order in the universe stemming from a Big Bang? It doesn't make sense. The way things work in life, you know, there's natural entropy, isn't there? Things generally erode. I mean, think about your house. If you don't tidy up your house, I mean, we experienced this today. We had people coming in, we had an estate agent coming in and taking photos of our house and we did it up really nicely and everything is looking so neat. And my wife said to me, it's really nice when the garden is like this and the house is like this. And I said, "Yes, it is." We now need to just maintain this, because if we don't actively try to maintain it, guess what happens? The way life goes is things go is entropy, isn't it? The law of entropy. You all know the law of entropy, right? Things don't things generally go from order to chaos. So when people talk about oh, the big bang, how can we have so much order in the universe that started from chaos? Doesn't work that way, right? There must have been a mastermind behind it, the living God, right? And what I've found is that if you are not intentional about living by design and not by default, you will naturally gravitate towards default and chaos. Does that make sense? We have to live life with intentionality, okay? I'm very, I'm very clear about how I want to use each day. All right? I'm very clear. I like to chunk my time and make sure that each segment is God-honoring. Each segment. Because if I don't have a plan for it, even if it's planning to rest, the default is I won't be God-honoring in my use of time. I'll just waste it. Okay? I'm aware of the value that I bring to my organization and my team. Business is about commanding value. Business is about commanding value. And it's important to be aware of the value that you add. Okay? So that when you walk into a room, you know, for example, if I know that I'm a friendly person, when I walk into a room, I'm thinking the value I bring is if someone is feeling lonely, I will lighten the mood. Right? If I know that the value I bring to a team is my sense of humor, I'll go in and I will add value with that particular strength. When you're not conscious of the value that you bring, when you're not conscious of your strengths, guess what happens? It's what we call a hidden treasure. And you end up not using those strengths. So again, ask yourself, what's the value I bring? And let me tell you something. The value you bring is not limited to just your areas of strength. And don't regurgitate your job description. Sometimes the value that you bring is very subtle. You hear people, when I ask them this question, they'll say things like, you know what, the value I bring to my team is I've got a calming effect on everyone. The people tend to get very stressed out, but I just calm them, right? The value I bring to my team is my analytical skills. I just see things, Paul, and I can analyze them to the T the value I bring to my team is I'm positive as a person when, the, when you have people being negative I just say but why not Right? and it energizes the team what's the value you bring to your team what's the value you bring Adili, I know with you you're a, you're a do it now person let's, let's have it happen, why do we need to dilly dally let's make it happen Okay? it's the value you bring to teams you're involved in okay um harvey for you you're an analytical thinker right you think analytically you like to sort of like reflect you like to think outside the box so whenever you bring up points in a team environment it'll be something people have never heard of before you know you don't like to just say the normal thing you know you're a thinker that's what you bring right it's a value you bring um Sipo, if I think of you in terms of the church context, etc., your passion for prayer, your passion for fasting, your, uh, how you are with people, your humility and so on, is something you bring, you add value. Nikki, your passion, it just oozes out, you know, that WhatsApp group, the social media, it's like, way, yes, hey. you know, if people are following your leadership, they're not afraid of sharing an idea because they know it's not going to be squashed, Okay, you've just got a way in which you kind of just make everyone feel included and so on. This is what you guys bring. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm aware of my strengths and I'm comfortable articulating them. I asked my wife this question a couple of weeks ago. I asked her this question. And she said, you know what? I am aware of my strengths, but I don't know how comfortable I am articulating them. Because if I articulate them, then people might think I am being arrogant or I'm showing off, right? So you'll find that one of the reasons in this church, I'll often sort of say, oh, my wife did this and oh, she did this in this race and so on, because she's not the kind of person to talk about it. But then I said to her, If I go up to you and I say, my love, you know that I'm very good at giving back massages, back rubs. I'm really, really brilliant. And so I can give you one just now if you want. Will you think I'm being arrogant? He says, no. Can you see the difference? When you articulate a strength and then at the same time offer a service, it doesn't come across as arrogant. But you see, if you just go and you say to people, I'm the best thing since sliced bread, they're like, so what? What's up with you? So sometimes when my kids are talking to each other, and you know when you've got three boys and there's lots of testosterone, sometimes I just say, you guys are now worshiping yourselves. That's self-worship now, right? Because they're saying, I can do this, I can do this, and I'm thinking, so what? For who? Who's going to benefit? That's why when you're building your brand building a personal brand, a strong personal brand, you have to answer the question, what's in it for me? Because I'm listening to you and you're telling me this is my brand. Right? I want to know what's in it for me. If you say to me, Paul, what do you do? You know what I say? I don't say my profession first, typically. I say I'm passionate about unlocking greatness in individuals, in teams, and in organizations. Then people are like, Oh, so he's the guy who unlocks greatness. Oh, so there's greatness in me. Let me hook up with him so that the greatness is unlocked. I'm I'm articulating how I can serve you with the strength of mine. Does that make sense? All right. So I'm aware of my strengths and I'm comfortable articulating them. I'm aware of my unique selling points and I'm comfortable promoting them. Now, this is slightly different. It's not the same as the strength. It's where you stand out. And that's why when you operate in different teams, this is so important. Because I might be strong in one environment because of the weaknesses around me. So in that environment, I've got unique selling points. But when I'm functioning in another team, Those things that were strengths in one team, they're not a strength in the other team because these people are already strong in that area. And you often see this, don't you, when someone changes soccer teams, when they move around and they're now in a different team and you realize, wait a minute, this guy was a striker in that one team, now he's an attacking midfielder in another. Powerful homework for you is to reflect on the different teams that you function in. You see, in the past, there was a command control type of leadership style. You had one boss... And you had one team. This is my team. This is my boss. And in countries like this one, South Africa and France, people are used to that. But if you look at the way the world is going today, if you look at places like the United States and so on, you'll find we have matrix systems in our organizations, don't we? So there's so many dotted lines. And this thing of saying like, I know I don't report to you, so you can't tell me what to do. I just report to this one. That day is over. Right? Right? Even in a church setting, not so. Even in a church setting and so on. Some of you, you'll feel like, yeah, but I need to talk to, to Paul about this. But then I also need to liaise with this person and check in with them. And then I also need to touch base with this person. And then my husband needs to be informed because he's the one who's going to release me to do this. Does that make sense? Okay. So again, you look at someone like Nikki, very involved in social media. I, will, I know when Nikki is available to, to speak because that's what i'm seeing like the whatsapps are going around and she'll send something to the social media one then she'll send something to my wife can you check concerning this and this and this then i'm getting something else it's a dotted line situation right and because of that we are operating in multiple teams are you aware of your unique selling points in each of those teams and you know what the interesting thing is many people have believed the lie that they've got nothing unique, that there's nothing unique about them. That's a lie, that's a lie. You know that it's been found that every single human being has about 700 skills, like just different skills, things they can actually do, about 700 or so. We've got lots of skills, right? We've got lots of skills. I can tell you right now, there's certain things where you're the only one with that skill here in this room where there's no one else that can do what you can do in the way that you do it. You see, some people might think reading is a skill. But let's go in depth. How fast can you read? How quick can you integrate that information and put it in writing and email it straight away? Can you see the different skill sets that are there? So don't just think reading. Think Reading and retention. Some of you are brilliant at this. Some of you you will read a story and you'll be able to articulate it. I don't know if you've noticed, like when my wife is preaching from time to time, she does something that I don't do as well as she does. She can she can literally and that's that's one of the reasons she can preach shorter than me, is because she will take a narrative in terms of David. And King David and what's happened in Chronicles and so on. And she'll literally summarize it. I don't know if you've noticed. She'll summarize it and so on. Where some of us have to go to the passage and say, this happened. And then this happened. And then let's unpack what actually happened. Okay? So those are skill sets associated with just reading. They're also skill sets associated with speaking. I'm trying to show you unique selling points that you might have. Some of you are brilliant storytellers. You're very good at telling stories. Do you know what the difference is between someone who's a good storyteller and someone who isn't? Very often, those people who are good storytellers, they've given themselves permission to share their stories. They believe that their story is worth telling. Some of you, and I've spoken to many of you one-on-one, you've got amazing stories, but you don't believe in the uniqueness of your story, and you don't believe that your story is worth telling. Have you noticed that the person with the greatest influence in a room very often is the person who's sharing stories? Think of those social environments. It's a storyteller. Very often when you're preaching or teaching and you've got an illustration to back up your point, that illustration is actually a story, isn't it? It's just a short story. One of the topics I teach on is, is, is presentation skills. But one of the subtopics is the power of storytelling when you give presentations. So I teach corporate people how to bring in their story. Does that make sense? How do you bring your story into numbers, for example? When you're skilled in those things, it becomes that unique X factor thing that you've got that takes you places. It takes you places. What's unique about you? What's unique about you? I'm aware of my limitations and I can articulate them. One of the saddest things is when you meet someone who can't share a weakness. You know those people who are super defensive? And literally, they can't share weakness. There was someone, I actually had to give them a test. I actually said, can you just tell us a weakness of yours, please? And sometimes it's to do with how we are raised. Sometimes it's to do with sibling rivalry. Okay? One of my kids was struggling, like, with the whole weakness thing. He would always, like, challenge his brothers and so on. And I don't know if it's because of where he's positioned in the family. And one day, I actually said to him, Can you just share weakness? Just tell us a weakness. Uh, Well, um, uh, and he was struggling. And in the end, he managed to just say out one. And, you know, he would put qualifications and things like that to it. But test yourself on this. Are you able to stand in front of people and share a weakness? I think on Sunday, I mentioned to you that one of the things that connects us with other people is vulnerability. When a leader stands in front of you, people want to hear him saying, me too me too me too not i'm perfect i'm perfect i'm perfect think of the person you like the most in your organization are they the most perfect are they the top performer are they the best looking no so why are we always trying to be those things in order to be liked by people why do we think if i was better looking i'll be liked why do we think if i was a better performer i'll be liked people are attracted to vulnerability They want you to perform. They want you to do things with your whole heart, but they're attracted to your vulnerability. Why, even in the church setting, are we always trying to put our best foot forward? Ah, pastor, I didn't tell you that because I I didn't know what you would think of me. It's so funny, when I work with couples, when I work with individuals, you find out about things like 18 months down the line. And I'm like, you telling me this about yourself now, 18 months down the line, doesn't change how I see you. And I can tell you right now, I've counseled so many people, and I've seen much worse. And those people where I've seen much worse in them, I love them to bits. Okay? I'm aware of my limitations, and I can articulate them. I know my life purpose, and don't compare myself with others. If you want to be distinguished, stop comparing yourself with other people. Run your own race. Sometimes when we compare ourselves too much with other people, our vision ends up too small. You know those people who are always saying, yeah, my degree. Oh, my wonderful degree. Oh, I love my degree. Oh, I'm the first person in my family who got that degree. And they keep talking about that degree they got. And if you see how clever they are, they should have two PhDs by now. But the problem is they think they're amazing because they've surrounded themselves by average people and just because they're better than those average people, they relax. Even when it comes to wealth, wealth creation, you know, those people who always hang around people who are not as wealthy as them because they like to feel powerful and they like to control people by their giving. It happens, eh? happens in family settings and so on. So they will always be the giver and they think, well, I'm being generous. And then you try to give to them and they struggle to receive because it affects the power dynamic. And that's why I want to challenge you. Be comfortable being around people who are more successful than you. I remember speaking to one guy and he had very successful friends and this guy was into property. That's his passion. And he says, hey, Paul, sometimes you go to some of these houses, you know, these 15 million, 14 million houses, and you, you're sitting there. And he says, my friends are all relaxed and so on. They've got no issues. But I'm the one who's uncomfortable being around them. Right? And sometimes we end up avoiding environments that cause us to feel uncomfortable. And then we never challenge to go to our next level. You know what I'm talking about, Right? We're never challenged to go to our next level, right? I know my life purpose and don't compare myself with others. Sometimes, you know, I'll say to someone, I'll say, oh, then I do, oh, Paul, you've got another book that's come out. Hey, you make us feel like we're not doing anything. I'm like, are you called to also do books? You know what I mean? The nature of my job, my passion, my calling, I'm always speaking, I'm always training people, so I better be doing books. But not everyone is called to that. So don't feel like, oh, but I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough. Focus on what your assignment in life is and do well in that. Because when you're at the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to look and the judgment is based on, what have you done Vis-a-vis your assignment, not my assignment. Does that make sense? So do you know your life purpose? Are you comparing yourself with others? Even in terms of physical appearances, people have got different shapes. People's metabolism is different. You can't walk into a room and keep thinking, Oh, I wish I had a body like hers. There's some people I know, uh, you know, who eat a lot and unhealthy. But somehow, I don't know if they've got worms or something. They just don't put on weight. There, that's, that's how God made them. Now, obviously, where we can take responsibility, yes, we must be healthy people. But don't keep comparing yourself. You see people using skin lighteners. using. I'm like, what's up with that? okay? You become stressful and insecure. I live consciously by design and not by default. I've said to myself, this is the type of father I want to be. This is the type of husband I want to be, right? This is the type of pastor I want to be. My, we, we talk about it with my wife, you know? I think it's wonderful that she's not your typical pastor's wife. Do you know what I mean? You know, sometimes you have typical pastors' wife. If you're a pastor's wife, you must be a worship leader. And you have to be able to do this, and you have to be able to do this. And this is how you must talk, and this is how you must relate to people. I love the way she can be doing an open water swim on a Saturday, and she cleans up well, and then afterwards dress smartly and preaching on the Sunday. That's who she is. That's how God has made her. Does that make sense? And for me, what's encouraging about that is that it brings freedom to other people who are different. I know people who hesitated to become pastor's wives because in their mind, they had a very set view of what a pastor's wife must do and be like. Does that make sense? Others describe me as very good at what I do. Now, this is important. We have to sharpen our saw. What do I mean by sharpening your saw? Remember Stephen Covey? Sharpening your saw. In other words, getting better. In what areas do you feel you're naturally gifted? What would happen if you train further in those areas? You might be saying to yourself, this year I want to sharpen myself in the area of leadership. So I'm going to read leadership books This year, I want to sharpen myself in terms of my deportment, how I carry myself, how I dress. You can sharpen yourself. And people can say, wow, you're so good. The way you do your makeup, the way you do. I'm trying to give you extreme examples, different examples. How can you improve? You see, a lot of us, we rely on our natural talent. So we're like, I've got the gift of the gab. Speaking is easy for me. So let me just speak. When I do sermons and so on, like, for example, the message I did on Sunday, that's a message I've preached before, the spirit of boldness. It's in my book that's about to come out called Apostolic Technology, one of the chapters. I've done that message before. But despite that, I still went through my notes, still beefed up my notes, still trusted God for revelation and now word for you guys, still used the prayer strategy, which I get before everyone else, praying through it and so on. Right, you want to sharpen yourself, because if you're naturally talented in something, what tends to happen is you just wing it. And let me tell you something: winging it won't make you global. You get what I'm saying? Winging it with your natural talent, yeah, some people be like, "Oh, that blessed me. Oh, that blessed me," but you won't go global. So the key question to ask is, what's my natural talent? how can I up my game in it? So you've got people like Cindy over here, for example, right? She's naturally good with women. She's naturally good when it comes to, you know, she, she trained years ago in terms of the whole thing of uh, beauty. You know what I mean? Beauty in terms of nails, hair, skin, that kind of thing. Beauty therapy, right? Right? But right now, she's taking that further. She's sharpening her saw in that area because she wants to be relevant in terms of what's going on now, today. Now, she could have just sat back and said, "Ah, you know what, I've actually got it and I'm better than most people around me, so it's fine. But she's sharpening herself in that area. Does that make sense? It's counterintuitive, eh? This is counterintuitive. Oh, I'm naturally good at numbers, so I don't need to study. No, you can take it a step further. My son Samuel, he says, hey, I want to go to Vasti, but the shortest number of years possible. Because, dad, I want to go into business, so why do I, why do I even need to go to Vasti? I mean, like, you know what? I said, do you understand how the stock market works? I, you know, I started sharing, like, difficult things that I knew he wouldn't be able to answer. Okay? <laughs> we have to sharpen ourselves to go to our next level. Does that make sense? Okay? Others. Do. Let, 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 me touch, let me go deeper into this. The way you figure out this, your high leverage activities, like what's that thing that I'm really good at? Are you able to answer the following question? What are you most complimented for? People compliment you about that particular thing. What is that thing? Because that's your area where you'll be distinguished. Not what you think you're good at. You know, you have some people who come and say, counseling, me counseling, I can counsel everyone. But you don't know how to listen to people, right? I'm talking about where people have complimented you and said you're brilliant, and not your mom, other people. (laughs) Okay? If you want to find out your highly rejectivities, ask yourself that question. Another question you can ask yourself is, what do I get so absorbed in? I get so absorbed doing that particular thing, people have to pull me away from it and say, it's supper time now. What's that thing? Time flies when I'm doing it. Right? What's that thing for you? Another one. People come to you and they say, how do you do that? It's so difficult for us. And you almost like don't understand why they struggle with it. Because for you, you just do it. And you say to them, well, I just do it. It's just there. It just comes. Very often, that's a thing that is God-given. God has supernaturally put it into you. And if you build your life around those types of things, it's amazing what happens because you're now functioning in your zone. You're not trying to copy Nikki. You're not trying to copy Taffy. You're doing, you're doing what you were wired to do. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. Others describe me as a knowledgeable individual. If you want to be distinguished, you're going to be distinguished very often based on your knowledge. And knowledge is something that anyone can acquire. Leaders are readers, as Pastor Tuffy was saying on Sunday. Right? Leaders are readers. There are a lot of people who've got this skill. It's the art of influencing people with your knowledge. Some people do it so well in conversations. They're always just reeling out stats and facts. And you're glued listening. And you're like, hey, how does this person always know the latest fact about this, the latest fact about that? So maybe your thing is cooking or baking. And you can influence people and become distinguished because you're always on top of your game in terms of knowledge. In what area are people coming to you asking questions? One of the things, my my wife did her master's in pharmacy, and she focused on St. John's wort, and she did some research around St. John's wort in terms of um, the active ingredients. And she found that in the different batches, right, of St. John's wort, there were different active ingredients, you know, in terms of the amounts, right? You know how with most medicines, those of you in the pharmaceutical industry know what I'm talking about. You have to take your things through the medicines control authority and so on, right? The pharmaceutical councils, etc. right? To make sure that when, when you've got some panado, right? And you say, I've, these 500 milligrams of panado, in the next batch, it's got exactly the same active ingredients. You understand what I'm saying? Now, with a lot of complementary medicines, there isn't that consistency, so you take something and it impacts you in one way, then you take something else, the same thing, the same amount the next day, and it has a different impact. Does that, am I making sense? Okay. And if there was a season in my wife's life where people just kept on coming and asking her questions about all sorts of things. Now, she had studied a fair amount around what's biblical and what's not biblical, Right? So people would say, what's your view of acupuncture? What's your view of homeopathy? What's your view of this? What's your view of this? And she would answer questions from a biblical Christian perspective. And I remember saying to her, you know what? When many people keep asking you the same questions, it's indicative of what you must study further. Does that make sense? Because more people are going to come and ask you the same questions. And you want to be sharp. You want to be clued up. So my question to you is, what do people come to you for advice? For what do people come to you for advice? And do you just wing it? Or do you say, "Mm, I must up my game in this area? Does that make sense? Okay. I feel confident as I go about my daily work. I feel confident as I go about my daily work. This is important. And the moment you're not feeling confident, ask yourself, is it because you haven't prepared well? Is it because you're not doing what God has assigned you to do? Is it because there's someone who's intimidating you? Can you see that this is a very powerful affirmation at the start of a day? To basically start off your day saying, I feel confident as I go about my daily work. What is the thing that robs you of your confidence? Some of you are leading in this church, for example. And there's some days where you're on a high and you feel confident. The other days, just after a meeting with someone, you begin to worry, and you f- you're thrown by it. And you're thinking to yourself, like, eh, maybe I was mistaken here. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I shouldn't be in charge of this area. Just be careful of those mind games, eh? I see it happening, and often it's a test for you. right? So ask yourself, is my lack of confidence coming from something outside of myself? Is my lack of confidence coming because I didn't prepare enough for the particular thing? Where is it coming from? Or is it literally voices I'm hearing? Think about that. I don't give up easily. The people who succeed as leaders are strong when it comes to resilience. They're very strong when it comes to resilience. What is resilience? Resilience is the ability to bounce back. And it's how quick you bounce back. Some people say, Paul, Paul, I bounced back after that setback. Yeah, but that was nine months later. You know, it's business at the speed of thought. We can't afford to be these people where we are super sensitive to everything. Oh, she didn't greet me. Oh, she looked at me funny. And literally takes you three months to recover from that. If you're the kind of person who's so sensitive when it comes to those kinds of things, it means that you need emotional healing. Because I'm telling you, the enemy uses that. The enemy will use that where literally you get derailed from your calling. Okay? So do you give up easily? Think back last year. Were there are certain things you were so excited about? where you, are, you want to achieve this, you want to achieve that. But just by one comment from someone, you give up. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's even your spouse. You give up. Maybe it's people who've known your past and your past mistakes. And they say, hey, we were surprised. We saw you going to church. And we, 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 we saw that thing and you shared a testimony in church. You! <laughs> but we know you. Or we knows you. 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 Depending, depending on where you're from. Okay. But here's the thing. I don't give up easily. I don't give up easily. Do you know that it's been found, people who are in the retail industry when it comes to restaurants and that kind of thing, that it only works out on average on the seventh try. So a lot of the restaurants we're seeing surviving in these malls where we go to, it's not because they're the best. It's because the leaders, the entrepreneurs were resilient. They didn't give up. Other people, they can't pay rent. So then they quit. They say, this entrepreneurship thing isn't for me. Instead of looking for a cheaper shopping center to function in. Okay? Think about it. A, l- a lot of businesses are folding. That's why you say to your friend, let's meet at the mall. Where? Ah, uh, first floor. At such and such a restaurant. Mimo's. Then you go there and you're confused. You feel like you're lost. But Mimo's was here. Closed down. The guys didn't survive. There was a guy in one of the malls around here, Mimo's guy, and he shared with someone, with a a common friend, shared just how many pizzas he has to sell just to be able to pay his rent and staff and so on. You know, it's not easy for them. The guys who survive, they're the resilient ones. Some of us, we're resilient. When we started out in business and so on, there's certain things that wouldn't work, but we just push through. Right now, when it comes to my books and so on, I, I like my books and I'm gonna keep writing because it's an assignment that God has given me. And some of the people who've read them, who've taken time to read them, they say, This was life changing. This just just oh, it was so amazing, it should be made into a devotional. So I'm gonna keep doing it. Are they bestsellers yet? No, they're not. Is it expensive printing them and paying designers, editors, etc.? Yes, it is. Am I going to stop doing it? No, I'm not. Why? Because at some point, the thing is going to explode and it's going to go viral. Other people would have given up. Other people would have second-guessed themselves and started saying, hey, maybe this isn't for me. Hey, this costs a lot. Hey, I thought I would sell more by now. Hey, I thought Amazon would just take off and millions of copies would be sold. What I've learned in life is very often God tests us. Why are you doing this? What's the motivation? When you're making lots of money, it's easy to do stuff, eh? And sometimes you end up doing things for commercial reasons. You see? But when you're not making any money, you stay true to your assignment that I'm going to do it anyway. And then when you start making money, you've got the character to contain it. Does that make sense? Okay? It's not easy. Others are inspired by how I live my life. Remember, we're not saying by what you say, but how you live your life. Is your life so distinguished that people look at you and they say, You inspire me? You inspire me by your daily routine. You inspire me by how you are with your wife. You inspire me by your value system, by what you say no to. You inspire me by your standards. Do people say that about you, or are you just average? When you go to the workplace, what is it about you that stands out? Has anyone come to you recently and said, you just inspire me by how you live your life? Not by the testimony you shared the other day. I'm not here talking about what you say. Because many of us can inspire people by what we say. But if someone was just watching the video of your life, how many of you would say, I'm sure many people would be inspired by it? And let, me, let me just take it a notch up. Let me just take it a notch up with this next one. I regularly inspire others by what I say. I asked someone this question and they said, you know what, not regularly. Maybe when I preach from time to time, but it's not a regular thing. I'm not just talking about when you preach in front of people, when you speak in front of crowds. I'm talking about inspiring people just by the daily conversations that you have. One-on-one. By what you say. Because you've got a story. I want to encourage you have about 15 stories, 15 stories that you just carry around with you and keep telling people those stories to inspire them. I met someone recently, I, was, I had a coaching session with them and this person shared with me their story. And they said, Paul, you know what happened to me? When I was about 23, the person is about 34 now, when I was about 23 years of age, my family, she had just finished Varsity somewhere there, Family traveled down to Durban. On their way back, they were involved in an accident. I'm not going to go into the details of the accident. But she, she, she pretty much lost most of her family. Mom, dad, it was the dad's birthday, by the way. Mom, dad, brother, cousin, the helper. The only person that survived. There were six of them in the car only person that survived was a younger brother who then in the process lost an eye he was flung out the windscreen and so on she was sharing with me the story a few years later the husband was cheating on her they got divorced but she was sharing with me so I said you know what this is inspiring just everything you've been through what you've survived and how you're so strong as a person and she said you know what I don't usually like sharing it with people because I don't want people to feel sorry for me I said, I don't feel sorry for you as I'm speaking, listening to you because the way you share your story, you share it with power. You don't share it like you're a victim. You share it with power. Are you hearing me? Each person in this room, you've got a story. It might not be as radical as that in terms of that experience, but you've got your own story in terms of things you've been through. Some of you, I know your stories because I get to talk to you guys one-on-one. Could it be that maybe it's time to start sharing it. Because sometimes when you don't share it, there'll be shame around your story. You'll be bound by shame throughout your life. Turn your tragedy into triumph. Turn your tragedy into triumph. Make it a story for his glory, where the enemy will regret what he did to you. Because now so many people are being touched because of that story. The enemy will regret what he did to you. We call it taking revenge on the enemy. A devil. What you used for harm, I'm using it for good. That's what Joseph did, and Joseph wasn't bitter. He became better, not bitter. He turned his mess into a message. I'm now lyricing. Okay, <laughs> I regularly inspire others by what I say, and sometimes it requires preparation. Sometimes it requires you to just sit back. And think of what you went through when you went through that divorce. Think of what you went through when you had to raise a single, as a single mom, when you had to raise your kids by yourself. Think of what you went through when your business failed and you had to start all over again. Think of all of that. Think of the number of people who can be rescued by your message. Think of the abuse you went through when you were growing up. Turn your mess into a message. Turn your tragedy into a triumph. Are you inspiring people by what you say? I counsel some couples who've been through a lot of stuff in their marriages, and it's so exciting when a couple of them will say, you know what, we want to use this experience we've been through to help other people. Then at least it wasn't a waste what you went through. Okay? I inspire and influence people that have a different personality to me. This is so important. There's some people who limit themselves to people who are like them. You know that we've found, there's some recent leadership research that has found that the greatest leaders in the world today, they've mastered the art of leading beyond the old boys club. Leading beyond the old boys club. In other words, leading people who are not like them. Are you good with extroverts if you're an introvert? Are you good at drawing out introverts if you're an extrovert? Just think about that. Brother Juan asked me an interesting question the other day. He always asks me questions I haven't been asked before. And he says, Pastor, so do you work better with introverts or with extroverts? And then I gave him my answer. I said extroverts are sometimes easier for me because I'm also an extrovert and they carry the conversation. You know, it's not as draining. You know, it's difficult when you have to like pull things out of some people, okay? But I also said to him, I need introverts, okay? I don't need a whole lot of people around me who are like, you know, hey, it's now time for me to speak. Hey, now you've said enough now. Let me now talk type of thing because I'm talking. Does that make sense? Okay, okay. Um, are you good with people who are different to you? If you're unstructured, are you good, at, good with people who are structured? Do you see the value of that? Right? If you're a night owl, are you good with early risers? Do you just celebrate people who are not the same as you? Very often in interviews, subconsciously, we tend to hire people who are like us. People who are not like you will make you feel uncomfortable, but those are the people you often need. People who are not like you will often make you feel uncomfortable, but very often those are the people you need. Let me share with you a principle. We've not been called to socialize along the lines of least resistance. A lot of people like to socialize along the lines of least resistance. You say to them, who's your best friend? So-and-so. These are the people I hang out with. Why did you start hanging out with them? It was just easier. We all lived in the same neighborhood. We're all part of the same lift club. We all go to the same school instead of actually living by design and choosing who's best for you and who are you best for. Are you hearing me? When, uh, you know, my wife is virtually best friends with Pastor Vim and they traveled together, you know, went to, to the Midlands. And my prayer for them before they went was basically, Father, whatever you have assigned Pastor Vim for, in my wife's life. May my wife experience the fullness of it and vice versa. Father, whatever you've assigned, trace for in Vim's life. May she experience the full benefits of it. One of the powerful questions, I was chatting to Pastor Taffy about this the one day, powerful question I like asking people is just ask yourself this question. For what reason has person X been assigned to me by God? Why is this person a gift in my life? You see, often we just think, oh, it's so-and-so. Oh, there's this person in my cell group. Oh, there's this person, yeah, they're a cell leader in our church. When you pray that prayer, it's amazing what happens. I said to Pastor Tuffy the other day, I said, what do you need from me? And then he told me. Then I said, Pastor Tuffy, if you pray this prayer, for what has God brought Paul into my life for? You'll see so many other things beyond what you've just said. Are you hearing me? Okay, and when we see people that way, it's amazing the benefits that come. Are you hearing me? And and the thing that God has given that person to you for, sometimes it's not something that you can see in the natural. It'll be something else. You'll be thinking it's this, and that's just a tip of the iceberg. Tip of the iceberg. And when you have a revelation that this person is a gift sent by God, you relate differently to the person. You're not shy to ask for things. You get what I'm saying? Because you realize the source is actually God. Now ask yourself that question. Are there some people in this congregation where they're actually a gift, but I'm not seeing it? It's a, they're a gift from God, but I'm not seeing it. So I won't phone the person because I'm like, ah, they're busy, they're busy. But God has sent them into your life. Very often, those people don't have the same personality. You know that there's some people who are grace growers. You know what a grace grower is? (laughs) It's that person where you've prayed a prayer like, Lord, please help me to be more patient. And then he sends that person into your life for training, for patience. (laughs) And then you realize that sometimes it could be a child of yours. Oh, this is why God has put this person in my life. Just just to make me more flexible. I inspire and influence people from different ethnic groups. If you're a so-called black person, are you good with Indian people? Are you good with so-called colored people? Are you good with so-called white people. I've spoken to people before where they say, "Eh, Paul, you know, to be honest with you, like, yeah, I like those kinds of people, but I struggle with those people. I've had situations, we've had lots of diversity in this church, and some people don't survive it, just so you know. Some people sort of just pass through. I remember one person, a white Afrikaans friend of mine, a great, wonderful person, and I remember him once saying, Paul, you've really helped me. You've helped me in terms of relating to black people, my friendship with you. It's actually helped that process. That's what he said to me. There was one particular guy. Um, I thought he was Zulu. Then I discovered that he's something else. He's one of the small, I think maybe he's Tsonga or something like that. But he shared with us in a team setting how he had to deal with his prejudice. He didn't want to sell his, he didn't want a white estate agent to sell his house. He was looking for a black one, and he was struggling to find a good black one around or something like that. And, and he said, let me just give this white guy a chance. Within a couple of days, the house was sold, and it was a good deal. It helped him in dealing with that prejudice that he had. He said, I had this mindset that white, white people will crook you. They want something from you. They'll trick you or something. That was his, his, his prejudice, and he saw it as prejudice. Are you good with people from different ethnic groups? And what I've noticed in this country, and my book on diversity, A Biblical View of Diversity is also about to come out. What I've noticed in this country is it's not the PC thing to say. To say, you know, I struggle with the way those black people are loud. And it's like they're screaming and shouting and so on, but we hear. They can't just talk to each other. I struggle with the way those white people do this. I struggle with the way... Th- Let's talk openly about these things so that we become better leaders. I don't want to just lead people who look like me. Otherwise, I'll limit my leadership. I want to be able to relate to people across the board. I've noticed with a number of people, they don't know how to just literally click with different people. They literally can't adjust. You know what I'm talking about, right? They literally can't adjust. And I say to them, Do you want to make your business go global? The rest of the world isn't from your tribe. So learn to adapt what we call cultural agility. Oh, how do you guys function here? And then learn people. Try to understand like, oh, this is why they do this. Spend some time just looking and listening instead of being quick to judge. Does that make sense? Okay. I inspire and influence people who have a different professional background to me. There's some people who are accountants and they can only relate to other accountants and they can only talk accounting language. Not you, Tendai, not you, okay? (laughs) I could see Tendai has got this nervous look on his face, like, ah! But they're they're, they're CAs like that. I remember one particular CA saying to me, yeah, you know, because the the other guys aren't CAs, so they don't really understand this, but at least with the CAs, it's easier, Paul, and so on. I'm saying, well, learn to influence people who aren't CAs. I remember one CFO saying, Yeah, but the non-degreed people, you know, Paul, we're dealing with non-degreed people here. So there are a lot of people who are very smart but don't have degrees. It was just the circumstance, the situation. Okay? What I like about countries like Australia, they've got double degrees there. You can do a BCOM in pharmacy. Okay, double degrees. And in real life, that's often what you need. When I've coached people in the pharmaceutical world, you hear them saying, yeah, I did a BSc in microbiology, Paul, but I'm now doing my MBA because that's what they actually need at work. Okay? So it's good to be broad. It's good to be able to understand different areas where, yes, you studied engineering, but you read books on emotional intelligence. I remember challenging some people from Murray and Roberts at the time, and I challenged them, and I said, When you guys were studying engineering, how many of you did a course on how to manage corporate politics? No. How many of you deal with that on a day-to-day basis? Yes. When you guys were studying engineering, how many of you did a course on how to manage my boss? No. How many of you deal with that on a day-to-day basis? Yes. Lanston studied mining engineering. But very often when I'm talking to him or coaching him, the input he needs isn't in what he studied. It's around leadership. It's around people. It's around management. It's around people dynamics, emotional issues. Does that make sense? Don't just read in your area of expertise because that's what you feel comfortable doing. Read widely. I inspire and influence people from different ideological backgrounds. Don't be intimidated by people just because the person is an atheist. I still remember the person who was my champion. In one of the banks, they would give me lots of business. And they even had to explain, one one time, they actually said, guys, it's not like I get a cut from Paul or anything. But this person would literally be my champion, saying there's this other department that needs your help. There's this other department, there's this other department. But you know what? On multiple counts, ideologically, we were different. Here's me, I'm a pastor, a Bible-believing pastor. This person was an atheist. In terms of lifestyle, they were different also. But I was top of their list when it came to, this is the person you must use. By the way, this is the same individual you've heard me share before when I was in a a particular team session, and I prayed and I said, Lord, I want the dominant anointing here to be your Holy Spirit. And the same atheist in that team session was the one who was suggesting that the team starts having prayer meetings, praying together. It's the same individual. And I said, Lord, why is this person suggesting this, but they're an atheist? And the Lord said, because my anointing was dominant in that room. There are times when you can do that, by the way, where you can actually, yeah, I'll teach that on another day. When, what was powerful was this individual gave me authority. This individual said, today, Paul, I'm not the leader of this team. You're in charge. That's actually what happened. And I'd been in that room and I'd prayed strong prayers beforehand. And that's what actually happened. The anointing of the Holy Spirit in and through me took over and bound any atheistic ideas she might have had to control the meeting. And here's this atheist saying, guys, seriously, a family that prays together stays together. You guys need to start prayer meetings. People like sharing their personal information with me. How many of you are that kind of person where people just open up to you? I know some of you are like that, right? People just pour out their issues and they overshare. And you feel uncomfortable to a point where you literally want to stop them, saying, you shouldn't be telling me all of this. Now, if you're the kind of person where no one wants to share anything with you, ask yourself, is there a gap? What is it? Is it because I gossip? Is it because I'm intimidating? Is it because I stop them halfway through and I don't listen? Am I judgmental? Before they've landed their thought, I'm now treating them differently and I'm victimizing them. Ask yourself, why is there no relational trust here? Because I can tell you, if you want to be a distinguished leader, people must feel comfortable opening up to you. People trust me. To be a distinguished leader, we need to be trusted. It's business at the speed of trust, isn't it? Do people trust you? Just think about that. Trust is linked to credibility. The word credible comes from the word credo in the Latin. And you know what it means? I trust in or I believe in. That's why those of you who came from traditional church backgrounds, you do the Apostles' Creed. Remember the Apostles' Creed? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, Right? yes, Charlton, right? People trust me. My question to you is, do people trust you? Let's unpack trust, because there are three major types of trust. There's functional trust. People believe that I do what I say I will do. You've got an ask once policy. If you've said you will do it, you do it. You know the kind of people where you ask them to do something and you can go to bed at night, you know it's done. Then there are other people, you ask them to do something and you know you have to have a plan B, plan C. You ask them, but you're already planning, like how are you going to cover, right? People believe that I keep my promises. People don't need to follow up on things with me. So with functional trust, if I say to my wife, you know what, my love, today I'm going to fetch the kids from swimming, and after swimming I'll get some bread and milk, and I should be at home by 6 o'clock. If she believes that Paul will do what he said he will do, and she doesn't have to sort of like, so are you okay? Are things still good? I just, I'm just double-checking. I just want to reconfirm. If she knows that Paul will do what he said he would do, it means there's functional trust in the relationship. Okay? People only have to ask me once and they consider it done. Do people just have to ask you once or do, you have to, do they have to follow up with you and then re-follow up and then follow up and confirm and double confirm and triple confirm? What is it? My word is my bond. My word is my bond. Can you see that this is linked to some of those things we were talking about earlier on? where you've got a code of conduct, and maybe on your list and that code of conduct is, guys, my word is my bond. There's, there are times I'll say to my wife, I'll say, my love, if, if that doesn't work out the thing you want to do for me, or what you're saying right now, please, it's okay. I don't really mind, because I know that she will suffer just to make sure she's done it, because it's my, but I said I would do it, so I'm going to do it. Like, my love, why are you going with the kids now at this time and so on and forcing yourself? Because I said, I promised, I, I said I would do it, so I have to do it and so on. And I'm trying to be like, you know what, I'm sure they'll understand. You know, you can take them tomorrow. It's okay. And then she's like, okay, Paul said, it's off me. It's not on me. Right? My word is my bond. And you know what? The more you do that in your relationships with people, it's amazing. It's amazing how you become more distinguished as a leader. I keep my word, even if it inconveniences me. That's the principle here. The other day, it was Paul's, uh, Paul Barnabas. It was their 10th anniversary. I mentioned it in church. And um, I said, I'll come to your house at eight o'clock. I said it to his wife, actually, to Agnes. I'll come at eight in the morning. He didn't have to send me a message just before. He didn't have to triple check quadruple check, are we still on? You know? I know there's some people who like being certain about things. People like John. If I've set up a meeting with John, I know like, you know, before I just wanted to check, are we still on? Can you still make, can we do, he's used to I think people dropping him or something like that. You know, I'm like, John, if I've said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It will happen. If something changes, then we change it. Does that make sense? And that's it. If we do these things, we become distinguished as leaders. And I wanna encourage you, don't just go off afterwards. Go through these, go through the slides, go through these as affirmations, convert them into prayers. That's the nice thing about being a believer. You can literally pray these over your life. It's amazing what ends up happening. You can apply these into your family life, you can apply these to yourself as a leader. These are also powerful as group discussions. So those of you who lead teams, you know, in the workplace, Juan, a number of other people, you literally go to your teams and you say, Let's actually assess ourselves on each of these. My word is my bond. How are we doing on this, guys? Hey, dude, with you. And the powerful thing about having discussions like this as conversation starters, it's not personal because it's now a general thing. We're saying, Hey, this is in the notes. I'm not just bringing it up because I've got an issue with you. It's in the notes. My word is my bond. Let's assess ourselves. Look at scale, not to 10. What will you rate yourself? And then someone says, I give myself an eight. Guys, would you also give this guy an eight? Hey, no, dude, we'll give you a four. Why? Behaviorally, the other day this, the other day that. And they give you feedback. The team gets stronger. I'm trying to show you different ways of using it. In a family setting, I know Juan calls his family his team, right? In a family setting, you can use this, hey? Where you literally sit down as a family and say, how far are we? I know with our kids, they'll say, ah, you guys, you say your word is your bond. Yeah, but dad, you guys said that you'll get us this and so on. I said, yeah, but I didn't give you a time frame from it. When we get the money, we'll give you, we'll organize it. But you know with kids, their time frames are different, eh? (laughs) Guys, thank you so much for coming. God bless you, and may the grace for leading greatly be upon you. Amen. Thank you.